Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles, and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering. Well, hello, welcome to Root and Wavering, broadcasting live today from Kirkland, uh, Washington, and also Tampa, Florida. Uh, I'm here today with Erwin Visser, who is a senior leader in Microsoft and also a recent summiteer, that's a word, of, uh, of Mount Everest. Uh, Erwin, so happy to hear have you here today. How are you today? Yeah, hey, thanks for uh, for having me, Hilke. I'm uh, I'm doing well. Uh, uh, very interested in this conversation, and, and thanks for having me. Slightly nervous, but uh, yeah, let's really happy to uh, to be here and uh, looking forward. Well, I'm I'm delighted. Um, when I noticed that you had climbed first Mount Rainier with your three children, and uh, then I saw your pictures of Mount Everest, I was first sort of thinking that I was dreaming. It's like, no, that can't be true. And then I was looking at it more. It's like, no, this is true. So we're going to hear more about Erwin Visser in a, in a moment. Um, before we do so, I'm going to do uh, a little introduction as we always start these podcasts with a Ruth and Wavering podcast to center us in the purpose of this work and Ruth and Wavering. So Ruth and Wavering is a series of conversations with senior leaders that basically are designed to help us remind uh, what is important to us. Because it's so easily uh, easy to get distracted, I find, to things that are in our minds, that are happening in our lives, that may draw our attention, that we get attached to, you could say, but that pull us away from what's truly important to us, that is truly something that when we look back at it later, say, yeah, that that's really what life was about. That was important to me to be grounded in. Those were my deepest values. And this is not a static thing that we're talking about here. Like, what, what is my true self connecting to what's most important to me? This is something that is a dynamic exploration, a dynamic journey, you could say. And what I find is I learn from everyone I meet in my life about what's important. I have ideas of it myself. And then when I meet people, my sense of the essence of what this life is about and what leadership is about always expands when I speak to somebody else. And so uh, that's the intent for the conversation for today as well. And so today we're going to expand, at least I hope you will, and I will certainly expand my awareness of what's truly important and what life and leadership is about by listening to to Erwin Fisher's uh, story it's funny, I'm just realizing I'm saying your name, Erwin, in English while we're both from the same country, the Netherlands, uh, where you were born, where uh, I would say Erwin Visser, which is probably more uh, the way your, your parents and your friends uh, growing up would say it. Erwin was born in the Netherlands. Uh, he started his career um, way back when and has been working with Microsoft for 20 plus years. He started off in the Dutch subsidiary of Microsoft and was responsible there for marketing uh, and, and other things as well. And then 
moved to uh, headquarters uh, in Microsoft about 18 years ago uh, in, the, in the Redmond area and uh, quickly rose through the ranks there, uh, was in charge of marketing again and um, evolved into uh, a senior leader in partner operations, really operating and activating the partner network for, for Microsoft, especially in the Windows world uh, initially and um, later also uh, more broadly. And that's also what he's doing today. He's actually a partner uh, and a general manager in Microsoft. It's a very senior position that you know people uh, really want to reach in their in their career. So it's something to to celebrate, and so I'm very happy to to to, to celebrate that with with him. And besides that, uh, Ervin is a very rounded in, individual, like almost like a Renaissance man. He's he's a father to five children. Uh, he has many hobbies, um, including uh, scuba diving, uh, being out in nature. Uh, he told me that his mountains are the mountains are his uh, like preferred habitat. He loves mountain climbing, skiing, cycling, and and travel. And in 2023, this year, he was standing on the summit of the tallest mountain of our planet, Mount Everest, and. Uh, two years prior, he did a family climb with his three oldest children uh, of Mount Rainier, which I almost can see from my window here in Kirkland, uh, Seattle, uh, Kirkland, Washington. So he says that sharing his passion for travel and adventure with his children is his biggest joy. So please join me in welcoming Ervin Fisser to this podcast, this episode of Rural and Wavering, where we help connect leaders Deep, connect more deeply to their, to their innate potential. So Erwin, ju jumping in with like a, a big question, which is tell me about how you have learned about connectedness in your life, connecting to what's truly important to you. You've been around for a couple of decades. So what have you noticed? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. Um, and we're, we're going to dive immediately in the uh, Hilker is that, um, I think I had to learn that in, in during my years. I, um, if I if I reflect, is that it's connectedness was not something that I don't think I really understood or was a concept for me, probably till my early thirties or something like that. Because you and my my earlier life was a lot about exploring, and I, I think I trying to understand what was potential and what was possible. And, and not really being having any focus of and having a real understanding of what was important to me. And I, I think that um, uh, certainly not for the last years that has significantly improved and has changed for me, and where um, I think being connected uh, to yourself, what drives you, what are the goals in life, uh, Kind of trying to figure out who you want to be and try to be then the best person in that in that vision um but also connecting with family uh with with my team and my organization uh, and uh, and being uh, as authentic as possible you can be uh, uh yeah that that is that has been a journey for me to be honest yes 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 well thank you for sharing the honesty about your journey i can i can relate to this this is this is not something that we're taught, at least most of us aren't taught in school, saying, hey, think about what's truly important to you. Often we're taught, you copy me, 
on this little path that I'm on, on this path that I'm on, and that will be success. And uh, often there's an, an awareness that happens that people say, oh, wait, hold a sec, hold on a second. Who, who am I? What, 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 is, what is this thing about that I am? And what am I going to do with this life, this energy? And when I read about you, when I hear you talk, I, I hear that gradual dawning, you could say, of that insight. Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this this could be this could be more of what makes me tick. Um, so, say a bit more about your early years and also about your transition to the United to the United States as a fellow yeah. immigrant. I'm curious about what made you leave a country that is so well organized and so comfortable in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say that my, my trip to the, my adventure to the US was uh, supposed to be like a two, three year adventure. And then it, it got extended just because I, I, really, I really felt uh, like balanced and really enjoyed living in the US, to be honest. So that, that kind of extended it. Yeah. My, uh, my journey is um, to start with is that I, uh, I grew up in an, uh, in, an, uh, in a really loving family, like I had a great youth, but uh, it, it was uh, uh, my father, he, uh, he started working when he was 15 years old. So he, he, was, um, he was from 35. So he, he went through the Second World War as a, as a child and um, was really, um, I would say, impacted by that, which I you cannot imagine to go through an experience like that. So uh, my family was, we were not poor, right? we had food, we had a roof, we had, but we, we were not, uh, absolutely had no financial means, like we didn't have a car, we never traveled to outs outside the Netherlands, which is a small country, as you know. Um, and, and so I, for me, uh, it's, uh, I was I was lucky in that I I, uh, well, I was a bit, I had the ability to uh, to learn well, did well at school. Um, I was uh, especially good in uh, like uh, in math and science, and so I was able to go to college. And I was the first in my family, like ever, to go to college. Not just my little family, but also a lot of the family around it. And and so the uh, yeah that for me that became like my what i tried to say like a discovery uh and exploration because the uh i it was trying to understand like what is possible and what and 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 you your your growth was and my personal growth was so accelerated and there were uh, doors got opened that i never knew even existed and, and when you start working then with like an academic degree and you get a job at Microsoft and and you start to travel and and so the uh so yeah that, that was for me like I was it's almost like feeling like an uh, Alice in Wonderland a little bit you know you you go yeah. into worlds that you have never seen previously in your life your parents have never experienced uh and this, your social worlds has never experienced that world before and so you're kind of like adventuring in uh, in, uh, in 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 new in new worlds, um, and and yeah, that was that's how I think. Uh, uh, and why I made the statement is that connectiveness was not really like there because it was just like yeah, again, Alice in Wonderland, like trying to understand what 
this new what my potential was how i could uh how i could uh explore it and not so much thinking through like what are my personal goals or uh what is my authentic self in that in that exploration yes yes i understand that i want to just come back for a moment to the experience of your dad going to the second world war uh and you him being shaped by that and then the gifts that he gave to you that helped you to basically build on that can you say more about that transition from father to son because basically i'm, I'm thinking about like him doing his best uh growing up in that time which was a really hard time in the yeah. netherlands uh i just can imagine like he was he was grown he was born in 36 i think you said 35 uh, yeah 35 35 so he was five years old when the second world started yeah. second world war started and 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 10 years when it ended uh and he's you said you know, he started working in his in his mid-teens yeah. so in the 50s when you know the netherlands was in a rebuilding time how do you what what gifts have you taken from him or what learnings did you take from him uh from his his journey yeah it's it's a uh, uh, my biggest takeaway is uh, is this kind of carpe diem uh, uh enjoy every day and enjoy your potential it's the it's it's a sad story is that um my father started working as as a 14 year old uh he he hated his job like the only thing i remember from my father uh was that he hated his work hated his job uh he had this this dream making it to, to 40 years at the company because then he could like uh early retire and um uh he died a month after he hit that milestone. Oh, wow. wow, let's pause with that for a second. He died a month after uh, he retired. So after yeah. that milestone, he worked towards his entire life. So yes. yeah, how did that impact you? Yeah, gigantically. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, um, yeah, having, I, I think uh, it's, um, uh, having a parent die early, I think I was 21 or so, um, or 22. Yeah, it's just a big shock. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, um, it's, it was super, uh, impactful for me because it's um it put this on myself on the path that um how important it was to first of all eh, it's like really leverage your potential leverage the opportunities you have and and i think one of the frustrations of my father was that he was a very intelligent man and he had a very like low level job so a very low level job at an insurance company that he did for 40 years, but he was, I'm, it's, 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 uh, my, my, my assessment is that he had significantly higher potential than that, but he never finished high school. So he, he just started working and, and, and tried to create a career out of it. Um, and, 
but yeah, for, for me, for me, the most important thing was like, hey, two things is like, one is that it's, it's an, a, a clear, a clear signal that uh, you don't control life. You don't, and uh, like, nobody knows if you live tomorrow, like, to be honest, nobody has a hundred percent agreed that you wake up tomorrow morning. So, right. so you really add, uh, ensure that you enjoy every day, enjoy life, but also that you try to just the potential that you have, that you um, create. And this is the idea is like, hey, don't let fear stand away of your dreams. Yeah. Is that um, you really, you, you really need to be brave and take steps to to uh, full, to really uh, use the potential you have yeah. and 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 that's um, I don't think I had as a kid that uh, that braveness um, but that was at, at that moment it was something like hey I if if you don't do it now you don't know if you get a second chance you know and and so you you have to start jumping into uh, into adventures or uh, career steps or decisions uh, because you don't you don't really know if you get a check second chance and maybe this is the moment and, and you know also it's like whatever you can lose it's you, your uh, most of the decisions we make in our lives uh, doesn't uh, are not life and death situations no. right? and then um, Everest may be a different a different situation we're going to talk about it I assume but and that's one of my uh, it may be one of my weird passions for mountain climbing, but um, hey, you, you come to the realization, and certainly when you start mountain climbing, where hey, like if you like bad decisions and mistakes can be a life or death situation, you start to become more comfortable in in jumping in in the rest of your life because you start to realize that like the, the impact of bad decisions or it's it's never it's never that level. It's always something you probably can manage. Right, right, right. So there's the whole host of learnings that I'm, I'm hearing in your story about your dad's passing, um, that it spurred in you a sense of, I must capture my potential. I must capture my potential. And that was such a gift that your dad left you, if I hear that from, from you now. and. I think a gift to me and to all of us that are listening, we must capture our potential um, because we don't know what's going to happen today. And and to to sit here waiting for some imagined future that might literally never come because we might be dead, um, literally, uh, is is you know it's a it's a rude awakening. It's good something to to know. At the same time, it it spurs a sense of adventure and and a, and a sense of courage and bravery for you. Uh, and, and in you to basically face your fears. And I'm, I'm sensing a lot of your fears and our fears are about minutia, like things that actually don't really matter. And I loved how you put it in perspective. Like most of our decisions are not life and death, right? Yeah. They're not life and death. Uh, while at the mountain, you get a perspective that some decisions are and that death might be closer than you think. So let's actually dive into this journey into ascending mount everest mm. so i see a smile on your face yeah yeah uh, yeah comes up when, you, when i when you hear this when you think about it yeah it's it's just 
it was such an amazing adventure. Um, and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to do it and that it, it went, that I saw clearly that it went well, made it to the summit. I, uh, I came out of it with, uh, with no like, uh, physical damage. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is for me in reflection is that I, uh, so I, I started mountain climbing uh, approximately at the same time that I think I just told me about the death of my father and I, uh, and I really enjoyed it in my in my twenties. I did the uh, climbing in like uh, a lot in the in the Alps, like Switzerland, Italy, um, France, and and it was I, I really it was yeah I, I, lo I love it. It was really for me a passion for a number of uh, summers. And then I uh, in that time there was the the first Dutch climber that ever climbed uh, Everest, uh, Ronald Naar. You may recognize the name. Um, and I went to a presentation of him in Amsterdam. I was one of the three, 400 people in the audience. And when he, like, I, I knew about Everest and I read about it. And it was always this, like, this, this thing that was so far away. And when I saw his presentation, Hilke, I was, when it was for me, like flying to the moon. Yeah, I was in, clearly it, it was, I was fascinated uh, about his story, but I never ever had a second that I thought I would be capable of doing that. Like it was, the, uh, it was really for me, like if, if somebody would come to you and say, do you want to fly to the moon in five years? It's like, well, yeah, you don't even know where to start. You don't know your first phone call, you know, you, you have no idea, but uh, where, uh, where you would start a journey like that. And, and so, I, um, I stopped mountain climbing, got a family, moved over to the US and, and uh, living in Seattle, and, and you are in, in Kirkland now, you, you look outside and you see Mount Rainier, which is a beautiful volcano in, in, uh, in state Washington. It's around uh, 14,000 feet, uh, 4,300 4, meters. And that kind of awakens for me again, like, hey, I love to climb. This is, seems like a thing I should adventure. So I, um, I started to climb uh, Rainier kind of as an, I wouldn't say yearly, but almost like a yearly thing. And so I, I climbed Rainier like 10 summers, uh, 10, uh, 10 summits, different routes, really enjoyed it. Through my experience of climbing Rainier, and it, this was really coincidental, I, uh, I met uh, this uh, female mountain climber and she's, uh, uh, her name is Melissa Arnaud. She climbed Everest six times. Uh, I started to help her with her, with her charity, uh, the Juniper Fund. Uh, and I started to learn from her around Everest. And, and then secondly, I also met this other mountain climber, uh, Gareth Madison, who was the, hey, I, I climbed Everest with the Madison Mountaineering uh, and Gareth became a friend of mine. And through these people, I, I started to re realize the path. And you, you, you realize that it's okay. Now I know my first phone call. I didn't know my, and, and so, and, and so the, so I started to realize what it would take for me to ever do it. And, and then it's, it kind of started to accelerate this process like two, three years ago. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, a really good friend of mine, uh, Peter, he, uh, He's trying to do seven summits. He had Everest in his uh, in, in his menu, um, and I I really started to talk to him about it, uh, and we decided to start training together for this uh, for this experience. 
and uh, we did uh, Aconcagua in uh, in 2022. Yeah, Aconcagua is the uh, the highest mountain in Americas, and it's the highest mountain outside the Himalaya. Um, and uh, and that went uh, hey, it was it was hard, but it went successful, and that kind of like set me on a path to to say okay, I'm. I'm not the youngest anymore. On the, uh, I if I want to do this, I need to. I have bad hips that did, both needed surgery, so I, I need to push it through and uh, and start planning it for uh, for 23. It's uh, the for me one of the takeaways, Hilke, is that and you 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 hear about the importance of mentorship and coaching for people that grow up in say uh, less privileged environments and. This is kind of like a metaphor in the same way. It's like you you can't you cannot become what you can't see. And for me, I had the ability to meet people that have done it, and just gave for me just the the, the practical knowledge and the the I would say the the uh, yeah the confidence, the self confidence, the self trust that hey, if I do A, B, C, and a few other things, I I have a chance to do this. You cannot become what you cannot see. And also, knowing what the first phone call is that I get to make, um, that's that's really resonating with me. So I want to explore more with you than literally your ascent towards the summit. T talk to us about it. And also, talk to us about what you learned about yourself in that experience. Um, because most of us listening have never been there. I would venture to say most of us will never go there. So you're introducing us to a world that's entirely yours for most people perspective. So tell us about what's that experience like? What yeah. was your experience and what did you learn? Take us there. Yeah, the, the, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, and so just to, to set a little bit like the, the context here, uh, Hilke, is the, and the, the climb itself is uh, uh, approximately 60 days. So seven, eight weeks. Um, you are, you, uh, so seven, eight weeks uh, in Nepal. Uh, the, the first two weeks is, the, is the, the hike to base camp. And that's where acclimatization starts. So Everest base camp is, uh, is uh, at 17,000 feet. And then you are starting to kind of like start the training and the acclimatization journey for your head, for your body to get acclimatized enough that uh, you can you can make it on the summit. And typically these are three rotations. So you do and you you do a rotation to camp two, sleep a few nights there, go back to base camp. You make a rotation again. You try to hit camp three, go back to base camp. Then you take a few days rest, and then you try to go the, all the way. So camp one, camp two, camp three, camp four, summit, and then back to uh, to base camp. Um, so it's it's a lot of like going up and down the up and down the mountain and doing a lot of acclimatization uh, hikes. Uh, the and the physically to start with physically, and then I can talk maybe more about the the, the uh, psychological process or the the mental processes, but. And physically, it really starts to be, uh, you, you start really feeling the pain of altitude when you hit base camp. And base camp uh, has 50% of the oxygen that you have uh, in Kirkland or in Tampa. Um, and 
And there's, there's a reason that no humans live at that altitude on the planet. Like it's, it's there's no cities or villages at that altitude. And as you, your body really starts deteriorating and the, the lack of oxygen, uh, it is, it's, uh, it impacts your ability to, uh, uh, to digest food. Uh, you feel uh, your, 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 your brain, uh, I always joke, but your cognitive power goes down and I, I feel you lose like 30, 40 IQ points. The moment you hit base camp or above, uh, you feel lethargic, tired, always out of breath, and uh, and so the and also your on a biological level, the your ability to uh, make new cells start changing, and so your your body starts to prioritize some uh, uh, pivotal organs, uh, but you you uh, in the weeks on base camp and the, uh, uh, your body mass, your muscle mass starts to slowly uh, decrease. Um, and so that, that is the, the physical aspect. The mental aspect is more, is, is around at the, and, and climbing is interesting because you have a lot of time. And like, if you run a marathon, you kind of like four hours in the zone and that's what you do or five hours or, uh, but, uh, Hey, if you climb for six weeks, you have a lot of time by yourself in the tent or, uh, talking to other climbers. And so there's a lot of opportunity for, for reflection and, and thinking things through and, the the a, a couple of for me uh, like key takeaways and one was the uh, the importance of positive thinking and the you like the you really have to uh, be grounded in your in your ability to to uh, to master the the technical difficulties and you you really have to because there are periods that you're sick you have bad days you have really bad days some days are hard like you are uh, on your feet going up the mountain for 16 hours and you're totally dehydrated uh, and so you're you're you have to always believe that you can do it because when you start any self-doubt it's just it's just a spin eh? and a negative mm -hmm. spin and 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 also you know when you start hesitating or have self-doubt then the the more technical parts that uh, could become very dangerous and there were a lot of ladders that you had to cross. Uh, there were vertical walls that you had to uh, to climb, and and so it's it's all not super hard. But the moment you start really thinking about the consequence, if you make a mistake, then things can become more dangerous. So you have to just really stay in the zone and stay positive. Uh, the 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 second thing what was really interesting for me it was uh, the the reflection around the journey versus the goal and because mm -hmm. I, when i when i started everest in this whole adventure clearly i wanted to go to the summit and everybody uh, but i a lot of people and all my family my uh they were all telling me and i i also believe, believe that that hey it's really about the experience mm -hmm. you, you go to nepal you learn a new culture you have the ability to uh, being a total in, in maybe one of the most beautiful valleys in the world, the Kumbo Valley, where you see all those 8,000 meter peaks, uh, you see Everest for the first time, and hey, you clearly want to reach the summit, but at the same time, you have to enjoy the date. Uh, through the period I and, and the climb, I became more and more deterministic that I'm passionate about, I want to get to the summit, whatever it takes. I, mm. I and it's it's the and the 
the adversity you go through yes. during the climb um, and you to to be able to take that day after day mm. uh, you have to build this this idea, the passion this maybe kind of like uh, this passion about hitting the summit is really really important and I at the we and there were climbers around us that uh, I think struggled with that making the summit important enough, and they stopped. They uh, stepped out because uh, okay. they because then why would you uh, after a few weeks why would you keep taking this adversity on your body and these long days if you really don't care to enough about the outcome? Got it. Very beautiful. So we're going to take a, a short break in a moment. Um, been really enjoying my conversation with Ervin Visser, who is a mountaineer uh, who recently also summited Mount Everest in uh, 2023. Uh, summited uh, Mount Mount Everest many times, uh, Mount, Mount Rainier many times, Mount Everest once. And one of the things that I'm going to be curious about is how Ervin managed to stay in this zone in adversity and why the summit. Is, has been so important to him. Like, what is what is that about? Uh, and what does that do in a person when we are very focused on something we want to achieve, while at the same time also um, enjoying our experience and enjoying the journey and carpe diem, as, as Erwin was talking about earlier. So thank you so much, Erwin, for this conversation already. And for everybody who's listening, uh, we'll be back after the break to explore more about how do we stay in the zone when adversity is with us pretty much all the time? You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Root and Wavering. I'm talking to Ervin Fisser, who is a partner and general manager in Microsoft, and also a mountaineer. And one of the things that really struck me, Ervin, was what you just talked about as your body deteriorating and you're not made to live at this altitude. And then this ongoing quest within yourself to stay in the zone so tell us a bit more about the kinds of adversities maybe get specific about it the kinds of adversities that you experienced maybe give some examples and how you related to those adversities what happened within you in those moments yeah no i i can i can be very uh, so um and if a few moments are still very uh, uh, clear to me. And one was that um, the, the one adversity was the, the Kumbo Icefall. And if you, if you have seen pictures of Mount Everest climbs, you often see pictures of the Kumbo Icefall because that is, uh, it's, it's very visual. It's like an, uh, an, an glacier that is like falling apart. And uh, there, the, the, the a group of Sherpas called the Sherpa doctors built a route on that uh, on that icefall. Uh, they have to update it almost every day. The Kumba icefall moves with like 
three feet uh, a day. So it's really like a stream of like gigantic blocks of ice. And it's, it's, uh, it's objectively the most dangerous part of climbing Everest. And you have to cross it six times uh, or at least six times. And uh, so the, uh, a, a few weeks before us, and really tragically, three Sherpas died in that Kumbu icefall because uh, a crevasse or an, a seras fell down. Uh, and, and so and so that was like shocking news for everybody. Because it just, again shows that the people that know that icefall the best, the Sherpas doctors, even cannot, uh, don't have even a guarantee for their own safety. Uh, like, uh, and then take like an amateur climber like I am. So it, um, yeah, that was one where uh, you, I tried to, because you go through it six hours, six times, you're approximately like going up, it's like 10 hours through that icefall, going down maybe five, six hours. And so you, you really have to block yourself out of any danger. Like you, you really cannot like look up and think, oh man, this ice could fall down on me every second. And if you, the moment you decide to go through it, you may, you have to then just trust that you're going to be lucky. Uh, that you have a certain level of luck that they that nothing is going to collapse while you're on it and don't don't question your decision when you're on the ice wall because it's you you have no choice at that moment than going up and down as fast as you uh, you can um the the second one for me was and it was like an, a weird moment i woke up on so camp two is uh, uh it's like six thousand five hundred meters so quickly translating twenty one thousand feet or so twenty thousand feet um, I woke up one morning and my right eye was blind. I, uh, so that's, that's a pretty big shock uh, when you're in a tent uh, in the cold uh, at that altitude. And so one of the guides told me that it sometimes happened because like an artery burst or uh, and it's, it's like altitude. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I, it's, I, it's, I didn't panic, but clearly it concerns you. You know, you don't want to lose your eyesight on the mountain. Uh, and so, but lucky enough, like the day after it started to become blurry and like uh, two days later it was gone. Um, and so it's, yeah, the, the assessment of the guide was correct that it was like altitude connected, but uh, again, it shows just the, uh, the, how vulnerable your body is at that altitude. Like you're, you're really at an, at a place where anything immediately escalates. Anything that goes wrong is in, can escalate so quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. uh and, and that is. Uh, being aware of that so you're not taking like crazy risks because I really wanted to go home and see my family but also uh, not making that don't make not making that too big either so that it stalls you from what you are are trying to accomplish there and so finding the balance between uh, risk taking and, uh, and 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 staying like uh, mentally mentally solid uh, and mentally healthy. Yes, yes, yes. So I want to go to that moment, into that moment with you for a moment, because I'm imagining I'm on like seventeen thousand feet or twenty thousand feet. I can't remember what you just said. Um, um, actually, I remember being there myself that's the highest i ever went i went to the himalayas once myself or twice myself and that was the highest i ever went and i remember uh i can imagine like i remember waking up with heart palpitations and i i just couldn't my heart was going boom 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 and i remember much younger than you than than, than i'm now sort of feeling a sense of panic like what's going to happen 
So tell us about what's that moment like? What was that moment like? You wake up and your eye doesn't work. It's blind. Yeah. Like, what was your first thought and how did you deal with that? Yeah, you, you first, uh, yeah, you, you just try to assess and, uh, is it, is it, because it's really weird to wake up and have, you cannot see through one eye. And so you, you try to assess the situation. Uh, you, 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 you close your eyes again for like a few minutes in the hope that, it's, uh, that it disappears. And then you kind of like the realization sinks in and then you try to, yeah, try to get advice and settle yourself uh, with, with that situation. And for me, the most important was like, hey, what, uh, I, what happens if my other eye gets the same thing? Because <laughs> then you have, an, a, 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 you have immediately like a dangerous situation, clearly, on a mountain like Everest. And so that was for me the biggest. So the moment that I start seeing improvement on the first day, I, I felt much better because I thought like, okay, I... It's there's progression and things, and this is where you have to be positive again, like the positive uh, thinking that it's it will that your eye will recover and your body will recover, and that things will be good in two three days from now. That's the that's the only thought you can almost keep in your mind. It's like you you have to you cannot you cannot anticipate risks. You can just deal with them when they're there. Yes, yes, yes. So where did you find the wherewithal to stay positive? Because I can imagine all kinds of forces pulling at you at that moment. Yeah, I I think it's um, it's a great question. I I've always been a person that is uh, I I learned it I think and maybe part was in my personality is that I can I can really stay focused on the things that are in my control. So I I think. The, the biggest learning, and I, I learned again it on Everest, but I think it was something that I built early in life. It's just the, the fact that yeah, you there you can spend so much time thinking about things you don't control. And so really keeping your focus as a human, and this is like a statement on work, family, life, and like focus on the things you can control and the decisions you have to make today or the actions you can take today. And anything that is beyond that is, is not something you should spend too much cycles on because, again, it's outside your control. Great. So you focused on that, and then the eyesight started to slowly come back, and then you continued. Yeah. And was it a, a smooth walk up from there? Uh, well, we had to go down. So I, yeah, two days later, we, we had to uh, go back from Camp 2 to, uh, if I remember correctly, to base camp. And... Yeah, I my eyes were uh, working for my right eye was working like ninety five percent at that time or ninety percent, so maybe a little bit blurry, but uh, uh, good enough. I uh, yeah, and and it never came back. So it was a one time experience that uh, put you a little bit out of balance. But at the end, it was like not a big event for the climb. I I see that. I see that. I'm 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 reflecting on when we have those moments. Those are really moments of truth, you could say. Like, what am I really yeah. committing to? What am I really committed to? And what I'm hearing you say is I'm really committed to focusing on what I can control. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also think Hilke, this is where the the, the and for me it's it was something that I also start to think about in my personal life and, and business is like the this thing between like 
I, I said that I mentioned earlier that if, when my father died for me, carpe diem, like enjoy every day, was such an important thing. But at the same time, you want to set goals in your life that to that you want to achieve, and these goals sometimes require that not every day is enjoyable. <laughs> and so you 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 really have to, and it can be a personal statement, business statement, family. Like I think we all have to like have periods in our lives where we just need to push through. And it's not really that we enjoy it that much, but we know it's it's part of our accountability of the goal that we want to achieve. And and I, I think that uh, while I felt that I had a pretty good balance going into Everest, I saw my balance change. And I, I think that that is also a reason for why are so many like accidents, like deadly accidents on Everest, is that people get like, overly focused on the goal and lose just the balance of the situation and start taking risks that are like if, if you if you take a step back you would say it's totally stupid but yeah people just uh and uh this year was the the deadly season uh on everest and uh, uh 17 uh casualties uh in the in the climbing season uh, very unfortunately, one of those casualties was somebody in our team, which was like a traumatic experience to me and my teammates. As somebody that you closely connect with over seven, eight weeks, and then uh, got like high altitude disease in Camp Four and was not able to make it down. And it it just shows the the danger. Eh? And and again, you can you can translate that maybe in a different way to my to personal life. It's like. Sometimes you need to be overly focused, but overly focused can also mean that you lose track of other things in your life that are more important. And in this case on Everest, it's super easy. It's like, what is more important than life? <laughs> like you can never balance climbing a summit versus staying alive. But people start making really uh, bad decision-making in that balance because of their their focus on that on that one single thing. Mm. So that that's an over an over focus an over attachment to some goal that literally kills people on the mountain and of course there's also factors outside of people's control like falling piece of ice and rock that can do the same thing yes that's true the the, the, the thing i'm very curious about is the goal your goal so why was summiting the summit uh so important to you what did it mean to you yeah yeah it, it's such an it's the it's the the most obvious question and the hardest question to answer <laughs> uh it's um i it's it's i think it's in and i've tried to answer it in my in my head and i i think i've come down to a, to a few things for me and one is that uh and let me let me start with maybe the 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 maybe the, the less uh, purposeful one or whatever you want to call it is that uh, there was probably a part of me that felt the need to prove myself and and uh, maybe move some uncertainty out of my system. Uh, yeah, it's it's the like feeling and the, and I think uh, like everybody. I struggle with uncertainty. I think a lot of people, and so you, there was part of me that just wanted to to prove to myself that I could do something like this and and get myself in the in the mindset for a challenge. I think part of it is that 
uh, I really enjoy this feeling of dedicating yourself to uh, an, an, uh, a challenging goal. And there is like beauty in the fact that you spend like, because uh, it's not just the six weeks or the eight weeks on Everest, but it's also the nine months in advance that you have this, 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 this goal in your head around, hey, I'm training. I'm training like 12 to 16 hours every week to be ready in on March to do this thing. And there is, there's like a, a, a little, like there's beauty in having that focus and that single minded focus, because it it just gives you purpose, uh, like a very strong feeling of purpose uh, in that, uh, in that period. Um, there's the, the other thing is that I, I've, I have, and I, I don't know, I cannot expect to explain it, but I always had the feeling in my life that I, I needed to do hard things. That I wanted to show, I wanted to push myself. And I, uh, I think that uh, part of it maybe is because I, uh, it's, uh, I really have an, a pet peeve against entitlement. And I, I sometimes, uh, I hear myself talk and I hate myself, you know, you, and like the sitting in a restaurant and you get like a great steak and then, you think it's it's you ask for medium and it's kind of medium that well done and you're it kind of like you have this moment that you kind of get disappointed and you uh -huh. really have to push yourself back and say hey i like i'm i'm probably 0.001% of the world population that's eating a steak tonight and so like this should not change my uh, this should not change my mood for this night or even not for like 30 seconds and so uh, the, I think there's a mountain climbing is such a great thing to kick that entitlement back. Like it's you, you sleep in a tent, you sleep in the same clothes for eight weeks, you eat bad food. Well, it's not too bad, but it was, uh, no, it's not great either. Uh, you, yeah, you have no showers or very limited showers. You, there's no TV, there's no, you're cold. You're, you're sleeping with a down jacket. Uh, uh, every night, you know. Uh, so you, you. It's, uh, it was funny because I, um, when I came from the mountain, we were looking for a hotel in Kathmandu, and then one or two people texted me about what is the best hotel. <laughs> and it's so interesting is that like, yeah, I, I couldn't care less. And I know these people texted me in love, but you know, it, it really doesn't matter if it's like a four star or five star hotel or three star hotel when you spend eight weeks on the mountain. You know, you. You yeah. don't really care about it, and so the the it really helps me doing these things. I feel to keep my my myself and my personality in control, and make sure that I I focus myself and I enjoy like what I have, and and don't get overly focused on like details that are not really important in life. So in a way, summiting Mount Everest was also reaching a summit in yourself that you learn to basically let go of a lot of pieces of you that no longer uh, are serving yeah. and you actually no longer need and no longer want. And you gained a sense of confidence and a sense of dignity is what I'm sensing within yourself. Like, yes. And what's important to me and, and it helped to, create some distance between you and the things that the conventional mind might think are important. Yeah. Like, you know, the steak or the five-star hotel or whatever it is. But like, let's just, like the, a mountain like that pulls us into the bait, to the essentials. Like what is life really about? 
stripped yeah. down to its bare bones. That's yeah. Here. Yeah, it, it helped, I think, uh, and I'm totally honest now, it's, I think it helped me fill the gap between who I am and who I want to be. And what did you discover as you filled that gap? Yeah. So it, it makes, it, it puts me closer to the person I'm aspiring to be versus the person I am, I feel I'm sometimes am. And how did that happen? Tell, tell us more about that. How did that gap get closed in you? And it's by proving to myself I'm capable of doing this uh -huh. and, 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 and get myself through this process. And um, yeah, and, 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 and I, I, by the way, I don't want to take away that climbing Mount Everest is also a beautiful experience. Like it's, I, I don't want to get, it's, it's everything in, in life is balanced. This is also balanced. So it is, uh, the, it's, it's a unique experience. So it's not just yeah. trying to take away, uh, it's not just trying to fill a gap. It's also a unique experience that I'm grateful for and I will always carry with me. But I think part of that was like, hey, I, um, I, I aspire to be somebody yeah, and, um, I aspire to be a person that uh, that embraces values and lives based on values, and one of those values is courage. and And so i I want to make sure and 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 stay on that, like hit the threshold for me, for myself. Like, what does it mean to to uh, and what is my personal meaning uh, behind courage, and how do I stay on that path? Yes, yes, yes. So Everest taught you a lot about courage and the courage that you have, that you have that courage, that you are that courage. And you helped you to connect to, to the courage that you that you are, you could say. Um, I'm tying it back to the way we started this conversation. That there's a certain level of grit that I also heard in your dad's story, being, you know, being willing to dedicate himself to something uh even though that might not have been an easy experience for him it sounds like everest was a really beautiful experience for you uh, at the same time a really challenging one that has taught you and it keeps teaching you a lot i'm sensing this is a, this is an experience even though you're you've you're off the summit now and now in tampa florida yeah is always with you so maybe as we start wrapping up this conversation uh what are some of the lessons from Everest that you're taking with you probably for the rest of your life that you might might want to maybe want to share with us uh, for those of us who've not been there but yeah are interested yeah I, uh, I I think the maybe the most important one and potentially also the obvious is that uh, it's going back to growth mindset is that, you are capable of doing things that you never dreamed of or being capable of. Mm -hmm. And um, if, if, if somebody would have asked me even 10 years ago, like, do you want to climb Mount Everest? I would probably have laughed them in their face because uh, I would have never uh, thought that I would be able, to, that I had, I was capable of doing it. And, and Hey, I'm, I'm not the, um, the and, and this is, this was maybe the fourth part of the motivation. I think I shared three 
is that I also wanted to be um, um, I also wanted to um, wow. okay. Okay. Here we go. Hey, um, I also wanted to be a role model for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Um, um, yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. We yes, yes. ourselves together. Uh, uh, you are together. <laughs> We cannot cut it out, uh, <laughs> but uh, now the 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 thing is that hey, I'm not the most um, evident person to climb Everest. Like I have climbing experience and I'm I'm relatively healthy, but I also had uh, I had cancer twice. Uh, I have like intestines issues that are in, incurable, and I need uh, prescription medicines for that. I uh, my hips uh, uh, now need surgery on both sides because they were completely wear and tear, and I need injections for that. And I went through a lot of pain in the training for that. So I, it's not that it's like, hey, it was super super evident that this would be a successful uh, adventure. And with with the some of the baggage I took at at the start of this, um, but I, yeah, again, I I also think that. Um, well, I said it. And showing my kids that this is possible. And so, mm -hmm. that they take the same, hopefully, growth mindset view in their lives. What a beautiful, beautiful legacy to leave. And that yes. you can live to, to do it. You get to live to, to see the impact and to, to be that. And thank you for sharing all of you, including your tears, um, to me, it sounds like and I can feel it. It touches something very deeply in you and probably in all of us. Uh, considering what we are capable of as human beings is a deeply, deeply moving experience. Um, and what I'm relating to is there's the, the tears of joy of the possibility and uh, the tears of grief of maybe the times that we are not living up to that and and giving into that and so yeah. there's a sense of feeling really moved from many many different areas it's almost like when we are beholding something very very beautiful and we're just in awe mm. and everything explodes so thank you for for sharing that with us ervin anything else you'd like to say by way of closing this conversation is already to an end um i could spend uh 60 days with you i know it takes many days to yeah. get no it's it is uh, i i, I said i'm oh, sorry okay you go ahead anything yeah. else you want no, to say no i i uh i really enjoyed this um i what I what I loved about this conversation is that it's, it makes things also more clear to me. So I learn a lot myself. While I I learn from you, I learn from the from the conversation. Uh, so thank you for this opportunity. Really appreciate it. You are you are very welcome. It's, uh, it's been a deep honor.
to sit with you, Ervin, as a fellow human being, as a mountaineer, as a role model for all of us for courage of what's possible when we truly are digging into our potential and taking a stand for the summit of the potential within ourselves, which to me, Mount Everest is a visual reminder for that we get to climb to teach us about what we're capable of. And that is my closing thinking about today. It's like, what are we capable of? And what would happen if we took a stand for it in a very deliberate ways, in, in good days and in bad days? What's that like when we take a stand for what we're truly capable of? And that to me is a, is a question that invites us into a journey and not necessarily a, a static answer that we write in a post-it note. It's something that, uh, that can guide us. So thank you so much, Ervin. And thank you for everyone who's been listening. We've been talking with Ervin Fisser, a uh, partner and a leader, senior leader in Microsoft and uh, also a mountaineer who recently was on the top of Mount Everest. Uh, we've been uh, doing this podcast of Rooted and Wavering. Today, uh, if you like this podcast or want to hear more of these conversations, you can subscribe to this podcast everywhere where you download your podcast or subscribe to podcasts at Apple and Spotify and all these other names that I don't even remember all the time. Uh, and you also can follow us on LinkedIn and find a replace that for, for Growth Leaders Network and other places. Uh, we'll be here again in the middle of October with another uh, senior leader from Microsoft, uh, ex-leader, former leader, and she's now a um, CEO who recently sold her company. And uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation as well, talking about what it's like to be truly committed to our potential. Um, you've been listening to Root and Unwavering, and where we help connect leaders more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Hilko Farber. See you next time. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness, presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network and Hilke Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilke's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.